Hello, welcome to River Road Presbyterian Church. This podcast is an audio-only version of Pastor Ray Roberts' weekly sermon. Whether you missed worshiping with us this week, dozed off during the sermon, or are just checking us out for the first time, we welcome you to our River Road family. For those of you who may be new, we would love to have you visit with us. We have two worship services each Sunday, a 9 a.m. informal service and an 11 a.m. traditional worship service that is also live-streamed. You can find that stream, recordings of past services, and learn more about our church and the many ways for you to connect with us at rrpcusa.org. We hope to see you soon. Our scripture lesson today comes from Matthew chapter 1. Today we start a new sermon series called Away to the Manger. And uh, this sermon series uh, was originally going to be called Roads to Bethlehem. But then I have a friend of mine who published a little book of Advent devotions called Away to the Manger. And I thought, that's just such a better title. So I just ripped it off. So, um, But you can thank a woman named Lisa Black uh, who, who wrote this new... Anyway, Away to the Manger. Here we go. And to help us think about the road out of Babylon, we're going to look at Matthew chapter 1. Hear the word of God. Beginning with verse 1. An account of the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. And Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Aram, and Aram the father of Amminadab, and Amminadab the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Salmon, and Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of King David. Are you keeping all this straight? <clears throat> We're just getting started. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah, and Solomon the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam the father of Abijah, and Abijah the father of Asaph, and Asaph the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat the father of Joram, and Joram the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah the father of Jotham, and Jotham the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz the father of Hezekiah, and Hezekiah the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh, the father of Amos, and Amos, the father of Josiah, and Josiah, the father of Jeconiah, Jeconiah, and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. You got all that? Okay. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Selathiel, and Selathiel, the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel, the father of Abidud, and Ibiud, the father of Elakim, and Eliakim, the father of Azor, and Azor, the father of Zaduk, and Zadok, the father of Achim, and Achim, the father of Eliud, and Eliud, the father of Elazar, and Elazar, the father of Methan, and Methan, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called the Messiah. And so all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations. And from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the deportation to Babylon to the Messiah, 14 generations. May God bless this reading of Holy Scripture. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, let us pray. Gracious God, may the words that I speak and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and redeemer. 
Amen. I find it curious that Jesus, that Matthew introduces Jesus, who is the most interesting person in the world, the most interesting person in history. He chooses to introduce Jesus by way of a genealogy. Some people are really into genealogies. My grandparents were. Both my grandmothers are really into genealogies. And at, whenever we'd gather for holidays or whatever, my, my grandmother McKinney would start talking about the Chambers family and uh, all the people, the Shaw family. And, and then uh, my, you know, would get together with my grandmother Roberts. You know, she'd talk about genealogy, uh, the Rohr family and other Harrison family, all these families. And whenever the conversation turned to genealogy, I just got a little bored. Maybe it's because I was young, but I don't think it was just because I was young. I think it's because, you know, there, there are all these names, right? But there's no stories. The stories might be more interesting, but the names, it's like reading the phone book, isn't it? I mean, it's, you do read the phone book for fun? Do, does anybody have a phone book anymore? I'm showing my age. I'm showing my age. It's like you're reading the phone book, though. Back when there were phone books. Uh, it's kind of boring. My, my father did not help at all. My father once told me, he said, people who think too much about their ancestors are like potatoes. The best part is in the ground. Anyway, whenever the conversation turned to genealogy, with my, usually with my grandmothers there, I just thought it was boring and I tuned out. I even, and I don't know if I can say this in church or not, but I even find the genealogies in the Bible kind of boring. I hope there's no lightning to strike me, but that's, you know, I mean, I've never looked at the table of nations in Genesis chapter 10 and said, that's my favorite chapter of all the Bible, Genesis chapter 10. You know, it's just table no, or numbers. You know, some people try to read the Bible, but they hit numbers. The first couple of chapters and numbers, and so and so beget, so and so beget, so and so, and they stop. Of course, they stop because it's, it's not very interesting. Even today's lesson is, you know, quite frankly, you know, Abimadad uh, is the father of Nashon, Nashon, the father of Salmon, some of the father of Rehoboam, the father. It, it just kind of, my mind wants to drift. You, you may have noticed I tried to read it with some speed so we could get through it. You like that with genealogies? Anybody? I don't know. Maybe it has to be my genealogy I'm more interested. I don't know. Whatever it is. Matthew wants to introduce the most interesting person in history with a genealogy. But Matthew's trying to make a point. Actually, he's trying to make several points. In fact, in the sermon, we're going to look at four points, which seems like a lot, but one, is, I assure you, is very short. <laughs> but he's trying to make several points. Actually, we're not going to get to all the points that Matthew's making with this genealogy. And the first point that Matthew's trying to make is that Jesus is Jewish. These are his people. He is of the tribe of Abraham, the patriarch who along with Sarah received the promise that they would become a great nation that would bless the nations. And this is still important to remember. If you want to understand who Jesus is, you've got to understand that he's a first century Jewish person. 
He's a first century Jew. You can't understand Jesus unless you know this. For example, at one point, Matthew tells us that a woman touched the fringe of Jesus' garment. I don't know if you know the story. The woman touches the fringe of Jesus' garment. And, you know, if, if you didn't know that Jesus was Jewish, you might think that his clothes were just worn out, right? This is the man who had no place to lay his head, and his clothes were shot. Maybe that's what's going on. But no, in fact, uh, the fringe of his garment, this is a reference to the tzit, tziti, that Bible instructs the people to wear so that they will be reminded of their covenant of God. And that is, their, their garments have this little fringe that's tied in. If you go to Israel today, you see people wearing uh, garments with the fringe, tziti. You don't know this, you're not going to get what's going on. Jesus is presenting as a Pharisee, as an Orthodox Jewish person. First century. That's what he's doing. I just want to say, over the last decade, we have seen a tremendous rise in anti-Semitism. It's really, really, really concerning. And in the last month or two, we've seen a tremendous rise even over that in anti-Semitism. And as followers of a Jewish Jesus, I think we should be among the first people who speak up against it and resist that move. Matthew's first point is that Jesus is Jewish. We aren't going to understand him if we don't understand that. At the same time, Matthew makes a point of identifying Gentiles in Jesus' family tree. He points out for them, they all happen to be women, but four Gentile women in his family tree. Jesus is Jewish, but he's not just Jewish. This isn't just for... For the Jewish people, he comes out of this tradition. He comes out of this particularity, but it, it's for all people. And so Matthew tells us about these very interesting people. Uh, they're all very interesting. Uh, for example, Tamar is the first one. She was a Canaanite woman. And when I was in Sunday school, no one ever told me the story of Tamar because they didn't want me to get the wrong ideas. And now you'll probably go home and read your Bible and read up about Tamar because it's a wild story. It's a wild story. But Canaanite woman, she's not Jewish. Rahab, Rahab was a prostitute in Jericho who helped the Israelites. She lowered them over the wall, if you know the story. Uh, the Bible, when it tells the story of Tamar, sets her in parallel with another guy, Achan, who, who, who has a treasure that's not his and he buries it under his tent. He's hiding it. And he's not faithful, even though he's Jewish. And Rahab is faithful even though she's not Jewish. And the point of putting these two stories side by side is that ethnicity is not what matters. It's whether you're faithful to God. And then there's Ruth. Ruth, she was a Moabite. She was of that tribe. And there was such bad blood between Hebrews and Moabites that Deuteronomy 23 verse 3 says this, a Moabite shall not enter the congregation of the Lord, even to their tenth generation shall they not enter the congregation of the Lord forever. There's such bad blood between Hebrews and Moabites, but, but here she is. Here's Ruth. She's in the genealogy. She's the great, 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 I can't, I lost count. grandmother of Jesus. All that way back. 
We aren't really sure of her ethnicity, but we do know the ethnicity of her husband, Uriah. He was called Uriah the Hittite. Uriah the Hittite, he was a Gentile. Matthew tells us Jesus is Jewish because he can't understand him outside of that context. And then Matthew points to all the Gentiles in Jesus' family tree because Jesus came for all people. He's the man for all ethnicities, all races. Matthew's the one who's going to tell us that the Magi came probably from Persia to bear gifts and visit Jesus. Matthew's the one who closes his gospel by saying that uh, all authority in heaven and earth has been given unto Christ. Go and make disciples of all nations. And the word there in Greek is ethnos. Ethnos. All nations. In a world that's torn apart by ethnic violence, we as followers of Jesus know that Jesus is for all people. For all people. And how can we make disciples of all nations if we remain silent when others are treated with contempt? Matthew's third point is that Jesus is from a line of kings. Jesus uh, is, is, is out of David. In fact, if you notice, the very first line in Matthew's gospel doesn't follow a chronological order. It goes like this. Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. In that order. Son of David, then son of Abraham. Why is it not in chronological order? Son of Abraham, son of David. It's because Matthew's emphasizing that Jesus comes from this line of kings. He is the one who is the king of kings. He is Lord, one that the disciples call Lord. And he gives top billing to David to, to remind us of this royal fact. That he is the Messiah, the anointed one, who comes out of this lineage. And this is what gives context to Jesus' proclamation that the kingdom of God is near. Or to the sign that's over Jesus at his crucifixion. This is the king of the Jews. Or to that last line in, when Jesus says, all authorities have been given to me. He is from this long line of kings. He is the Messiah. And finally, notice the deportation to Babylon. This might be the thing that would be easiest to overlook. It's just kind of in there. And Matthew divides his genealogy by it. He, he mentions it twice. Josiah, the father of Jeconiah, and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon... And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Salathiel. And you wonder, why mention the deportation to Babylon in a genealogy? What's, what's that got to do with it? Why mention it twice? Or three times if you count the 14 generations. What's this about? The deportation to Babylon is a reference to what has been to this point in Jewish history the greatest trauma. The sack of Jerusalem. Exile. Being taken out of your home into slavery. Hauled off to a strange country where they don't speak the language. Being removed from everyone that's familiar in your life. And all the familiar places. Taken to a strange land. And it was a great trauma for the Jewish people, the greatest trauma. And the deportation to Babylon is just shorthand for talking about something that they still remember. 
You know, the thing is, you can't understand people or what they're going through understanding their trauma. And every people bear some trauma. You can't understand Israel or, its, or the response to October 7th without understanding the trauma of the Holocaust. I have Jewish friends who have just had, they've just been devastated. And as I tried to understand it, I've been helped by a conversation I once had with a guy named Lance Sussman, who was a rabbi in Philadelphia. And he told me that for Jews who've experienced the Holocaust, Israel represents for them the safe place you can go when things get bad, as they always do. And I've never forgotten when he told me that. And it helps me to understand the anguish that my Jewish friends are feeling. Can't understand the response without understanding that the safe place was not safe. In the same way that you can't understand the Israeli response or the Jewish response, you can't understand the Palestinian response without understanding their trauma. And we're probably not as familiar with that. It traces back to what they call the Nakba. Any of you ever heard of the Nakba? We don't really know much about it. The Nakba in Arabic means the catastrophe. It refers to 1948 when the state of Israel was founded. There was a war and people left their homes and, and, and Jerus in Jerusalem. A lot of folks left, left, left their homes in Jerusalem. And I've been through the suburbs of Jerusalem where these homes used to be beautiful stone houses, gorgeous, gorgeous sub suburbia. It's, it's like driving down River Road. It's gorgeous. Some of them still have Arabic carved on the sides, but they left their homes because there was a war. They were trying to save their families, and they left and they went west to Bethlehem. And Bethlehem, by the way, is about as far as from here to Carytown. So, you know, a little distance to give you a little geography about how far it is. And they left and they went west and there's no place for them so they settled into a refugee camp. I've been to one of them called Dahish, the Dahish refugee camp. And if you walk through the squalor of the Dahish refugee camp today, you will see a lot of graffiti. And the thing that's really interesting is that most of this graffiti is depiction of house keys. And you think, that's an odd thing. Why are these house keys painted everywhere on the walls? And it is because the house key is a symbol of the trauma of the Nakba. Because they left their homes, they took their keys with them, they expected to go back to their homes, and they never went back, but they still had the keys, and the family still knows. If you ask any family over there who's got the keys, they know who's got the keys to the house. It symbolizes the trauma of losing your home. It symbolizes the trauma of grievance and, and a sense of injustice. It's, it symbolizes that when you look across the valley and you see the new settlements being built on land, the Oslo Peace Accord says it's going to be... You can't understand what's going on over there unless you understand the trauma on both sides. And my, my point in raising this is not to choose sides. I'm not smart enough to figure out how that is. But people are dealing with trauma. 
It informs a sense of identity. It is the reason there is continuing suspicion and resentment and fear. And these drive behavior. And trauma is a significant barrier to, to finding the peace that I think both sides want. Jesus mentions the deportation to Babylon because he's pointing out the trauma from, for people who have not forgotten. Today we come to this table. This is the table of our Lord Jesus Christ. And at this table we remember that Jesus came. Jesus is God with us, Emmanuel. He enters into a world with all of its trauma. He enters into the world and he goes to the cross to experience the trauma of the cross. And in experiencing the trauma of the cross, he defangs the toxins of that trauma. And he defangs the toxins of that trauma by forgiving those who crucify him. He defangs the toxins of the trauma by being God with us, Emmanuel, who cries out, My God, why have you forsaken me? So that we would know that nobody is forsaken. No matter what trauma you have been through or may go through, God is with you. God is the God of the cross. And at this table we remember that God raised Jesus from the dead to show us and tell us that sin and the trauma of our lives will not be the last word. They are not our future. But our future is the peace of God that is won upon the cross. At this table we remember that Christ is our peace who breaks down the dividing walls of hostility so that we can find peace with one another and get past the, the old traumas of the world. Jesus comes to us a traumatized people who seek to prevent further trauma by traumatizing others. He comes to us to being peace. To bring peace. And he invites you to come to this table. To take nourishment from his story. To find strength here in Jesus Christ who is God with us even here today and to follow in his way so that we might bring his peace to a traumatized world. Let us pray. But Lord our God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his advent, his coming. We thank you for his being born, that he was God with us, that he knows our struggles, he knows our wounds, and yet he has come to heal. And so we thank you for everything about Jesus, his life, his miracles, his example, his teachings, his work on the cross. And as we come to the table today, may we find healing in him. May we find healing in you. Pour your Holy Spirit upon us, O Lord, so that this bread may be for us, not just simply bread, but may be, become the body of Christ 
and this wine may become the blood of Christ and we gathered around this table may become the body of Christ. Come, O Lord, send your spirit upon us. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.